Thanks for joining us on the Crenshaw Christian Center New York podcast. And remember these words, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Let's jump into the lesson. Well, today we're beginning a series. I must admit when I started it, I thought it was just going to be one message, but eh, I don't think so. So it's going to be a series, but I'm confident that all of us will find it interesting. Now, I'm sure that no matter who you are or your station in life, there will be information shared for you to glean. The title of this series is Watch Your Mouth. Now, <laughs> yeah, I know, it's interesting, right? Well, being a member of Crenshaw Christian Center New York, it affords us so many privileges. The most important is that we're partakers of the teaching ministry of Apostle Frederick Casey Price. Now, this is such a blessing because we are learning the Word of God and how to apply it to our lives. That I cannot underscore enough. You see, it's wonderful to read the word, it's wonderful to know the word, but if you do not know how to apply it to your life, it's really not all that important. It's not that effective. It doesn't affect your life. It doesn't make things different for you. You have to learn how to apply it. So if you purpose in your heart and mind to remain open, there is always a nugget of wisdom for you to receive. Now, a couple of weeks ago, Minister Scott gave us such a nugget when he taught us that the promises of God are voice activated, which means we what? We must use our mouths. Now, non-believers even can tell you that God said, let there be light, and there was light. God created the earth realm, the heavens, and everything, the entire universe, by speaking it into existence. As a matter of fact, God never does anything without saying it first. The Most High God has demonstrated the power of words. Now, every person under the sound of my voice has been, or and I should say, will continue to be affected by words. Why do I say this? It's very simple. That's how God designed the system. Every born-again believer is a new creation, a new species, if you will, as a result of what? Your words. Turn with me to Romans, and we're going to do something different today. Turn with me to Romans, not Romans 10, 9, and 10, but Romans 10, 8 through 10. And when I say we're going to do something different, I had someone ask me um, in Thursday night's Bible study, and I thought it was an excellent question. Why, first of all, everybody knows I'm the translation person, and I give you all these different translations. We kind of know that. But the person wanted to know, well, where do I start? Meaning, do I just like pick a translation and then just kind of like start from there? Yeah, you can do that. What I'm going to try to show you today is how we're going to use the New King James Version of the Bible as our foundation scripture, because that's really the translation most of us in this ministry have. But then I want to show you, and I'm going to try to do it through my eyes, 
how the different translations make a difference in your understanding. We all that are born again are familiar with Romans 10, 9 and 10. I purposely backed up a little bit because I want us to start getting to a point. Because I would say most of us in here, most, not everybody, but I say most of us are over the age of maybe 30, correct? So if you look at it this way, if you're over the age of 30, and you are promised and believing to at least be here till 120 should the Lord tarry. That means that one quarter of your life is behind you. Now, there are some of us, like myself, who half of is gone, okay? So, I really got to start getting very serious about everything that I do and say. And that includes studying the word. I don't have time to just kind of like gloss over it, think I got the gist, and keep on moving. I have to know, because I've got to make this half of my life, it's actually a little less, but whatever, I got to make it count. Big time. I have no, in other words, it's time for me to put on my grown-up clothes and start acting like a grown-up. I can no longer just be, you know, frolicking along and everything is just hunky-dory. Uh, that, that time is gone, okay? So based upon that, we're going to look at Romans 10. Are you there? Okay. So starting at verse 8 in the New King James Version, it says, But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the word of faith we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now all of us that are born again, we understand exactly what that means because all of us had to do it to become born again but I submit to you if you're sharing this with somebody for the very first time they're hearing it they may not really understand 100% which is why we then have to try to break it down to explain it to them but let's look at those same verses of scripture in the amplified the amplified is the version that I always will tell you has the qualifiers. It breaks down things so that you have to work real hard not to understand what it's saying. So if we read this out of the Amplified, it says this. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word. Now it's breaking down what that means. The message, the basis of faith, which we preach. Because if you acknowledge and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, here's the qualifier, recognizing his power, authority, and majesty as God. That's key. There are so many people, as a matter of fact, we had a time where we had an outreach group who went down in the subway and they gave out $5 subway cards and they prayed with people. Now, I am not going to say, because I am not God, that the people who received those cards did not accept Jesus sincerely with their heart. They may have, however, just gone ahead, said whatever it took to get that $5 card. Because here's the key. They have to accept Jesus recognizing his power authority and majesty as God. Can you see where that makes a little bit of a difference? And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, a person believes, here's the qualifier, in Christ as Savior, resulting in his justification. Another qualifier, that is being made righteous, being freed of the guilt of sin and made acceptable to God. That 
makes a big difference, especially if you're hearing this for the first time. You need to understand what you're supposed to believe. To just say believe, it, it can be somewhat ambiguous. This makes it clear. And with the mouth, he acknowledges and confesses what? His faith openly resulting in and confirming his salvation. So that's why the confession is there. That's why we need to do it. Now, do you see where that made it a little bit easier to understand? Yes. Now, you may be talking to somebody who doesn't quite get that. If you go to the easy to read, it's a lot shorter. And it says, this is what the scripture said. God's teaching is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. It is the teaching of faith that we tell people. If we openly say Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Yes, we believe in Jesus deep in our hearts. And so we are made right with God. And we openly say that we believe in him. And so we are saved. That is really wonderful, especially if you are maybe ministering to someone who I don't know. They could be a little bit younger. So the amplifier might just be a little bit too much for them. The point that I'm making to you and the reason I shared it this way is because these are verses of scripture. All of us know because that's why we're Christians. We have to know these verses of scripture. But I want you to see how reading a different translation can open up a person's heart and mind to be able to better to re better receive it. And you need to be able to do that because when you are using the word as your sword saying it is written and shall forever remain written, you better know what you're saying is written. And if you don't understand what you're saying and you, you might as well be saying a nursery rhyme, because if you don't understand it, the enemy knows you don't understand it. And he really is laughing in your face and just whipping you upside the head another way. So this is why the translations are important. Not just because I want to stand up here and tell you how many translations I know. That's not the point. I want with all of my heart for you to get this. Because you know what? I am growing weary of seeing the body of Christ have less than what we are supposed to have. Jesus did not go and die for us to be broken, for us not to be able to pay our bills, for us not to be able to have the best because we deserve the best, not because of who we are, but because of who we belong to. We are supposed to operate with that. We are supposed to be able to sit down and when we see somebody in need, be able to take care of it. Well, we can't do that if we're not in the position to do that. There's a reason we're not in the position and we got to work on changing that. And that is my soul. I am, ugh, my prayer always is, Lord, use me. That's why that song ministered to me this morning, because I make myself available. Please show me how to get your word alive and well into the hearts of people so we can take the city and everywhere we go by force. That's what we're supposed to do. We're not just supposed to come here and dress up and look cute and sit here. That's not the point. We were called for a reason. And you know what? We're going to fulfill it. I know that we are. So there is... Something that is critical for every believer is that your salvation doesn't just end after you say those wonderful words in Romans. It is really just the beginning. There is so much to learn, so many victories to be won, a rewarding, successful life ahead. However, we must learn to operate our lives based upon the word of God. It is our instruction manual for the new species 
that we become as Christians. Turn with me to Romans 12, and I do this because I'm going to prove it. You know this, but I'm going to share it with you out of two translations you may not know. Romans 12, the second verse. We all are familiar with this, I'm pretty confident. So I'm going to share it with you out of the Amplified first, and it says, And do not be conformed to this world, here's the qualifier, any longer with its superficial values and customs, but be transformed and progressively changed. See, that's a key. Because transformed, this isn't to transform a movie where we're just going to all of a sudden be transformed. It is a process. So it's telling us that. And progressively changed, qualifier, as you mature spiritually by the renewing of your mind. What does that mean? Focusing on godly values and ethical attitudes so that you may prove, what does that mean? For yourselves. Okay, you're doing it for yourselves. What the will of God is. That which is good and acceptable and perfect qualifier in his plan and purpose for you. So when the word is talking about God's plan, it's not it's involving you personally. You could actually put your name in there. Okay, so we're going to look at it out of the message and it says, so here's what I want you to do. I love this. God helping you take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without ever thinking. You know, when you're standing around the water cooler at work and they're just sitting up there telling all these little foul jokes and you find yourself <laughs> laughing. Why are you laughing? It's not funny. Okay, but you you do that because you just kind of want to fit in. You don't want anybody to think you're the oddball. You're a Christian. You represent the kingdom of God. But, you, you know, I, I don't want anybody to, you know. Okay. Hmm. That's what that means. Okay. <laughs> don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Now turn with me to Genesis, because I'm laying this foundation, so just stick with me. Turn with me to Genesis 1, and this is going to be only out of the King James Version, these next three scriptures, because I just want to prove a point. Genesis 1, 26, 27. I'm sure you're very familiar with it. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. Now turn to Romans the eighth chapter, go back to Romans, Romans 8, and we're going to look at verses 14 through 17. Again, out of the New King James Version. And it says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, notice it says led, okay, by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself 
bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Now just flip right over to John, the 17th chapter and the 16th verse. John 17, 16, one sentence. They are not of the world, just as I, meaning Jesus, am not of the world. Based on these scriptures that we just read, we are what? Children of God, not of this world, even though we live here. Now, as his children, made in his image and likeness, we are to operate how? As he does. God uses his words very carefully and specifically. As his children, heirs of his kingdom, we must learn to do the same. Therefore, we must watch our mouths. Now, we're going to look at scripture to prove the benefits of doing just that. We're going to search quite a bit of scripture from two major books in the Bible. So I want to provide a little background before we begin. Some of you may already have this knowledge, so please don't become so annoyed with me that I mention it. But you see, for years, there was so much that I didn't know about the word. I went to a Baptist church, bless their hearts. They would get up, the pastor would read a couple of little sentences, take this beautiful ornate Bible, one of the most beautiful you ever wanted to see, and shove it under the pulpit and start his weekly show. So that is what I grew up with. I mean, a really good show, okay? I didn't know a lot about the word. So for me, I get excited about it, and then I just want to share it with everybody. So if you already know this, praise God. But you know what? There might be somebody here that's like I was who did not know this information. So that's why I'm going to share it. Fair enough? The book of Psalms is one of the books that we're going to be delving into. And it's really quite unique for this reason. Number one, it's the longest book in the Bible. Number two, across a period of several centuries, it was written by many different authors. And I thought this was interesting. The Israelites used parts of the book as a hymnal in worship services. David, King David, appears in 73 of the 150 individual psalms in this particular book. Several other people are named in the titles of other psalms, but at least 50 psalms have no authors identified at all. All the Psalms will, now see, I thought that was interesting. Here's why. So many people come to church and it's so important that you mention their name. There are some people who just want to have a position so that they can have a position and you can know their name. What about these people? There were, like I said, at least 50 who wrote some of the most beautiful Psalms. Their name isn't even mentioned. They didn't do it for their name. Maybe we should adopt that attitude and just want to serve our king and not do it for the position and our name. Okay. Um, all of the Psalms were written in poetic form as prayers of praise, joy, and agony of the soul sometimes. And they were all addressed to the Most High God. The book of Psalms is one of the most beloved books of the Bible because it expresses the thoughts about God that believers may sometimes feel in their own hearts, but can't seem to put it into words. 
The other book that we'll be searching is Proverbs. Now, this book is filled with wise sayings and observations on life designed to motivate us as believers to walk in the way of wisdom. And you see, the book of Proverbs is one of three books, actually, in the Old Testament classified as wisdom literature. The other three are Job and Ecclesiastes. Now, for me personally, when I found that out, I was like, Ecclesiastes, just to spell it, that, that ought to be why it's one of the books for wisdom. Um, all three books are going to help us with philosophical issues such as the meaning of life and behavior that leads to happiness and contentment in daily living. Proverbs is the most practical and contains wise sayings on how to live in harmony with God as well as other people, which means obviously our brethren. It has, ser it has several authors, but the basic core was written by Solomon. Now, you may ask, why are we spending so much time in Psalms? And why are we spending so much time in Proverbs? That's the Old Testament. Very good question. Because, see, I always question things as I'm thinking. And I've noticed that a lot of believers in this time in which we're living, we're really all excited about the New, Te New Testament, as we should be. Because, I mean, obviously, it supersedes the old. But I want you to think about it a little different. Think of it this way. Do you feel that you can glean wisdom from someone older than yourself? Yes. Oh, you do? Okay. Um, and you feel that you can do that because they've been this way a little bit longer than you. So there's something that you can learn from them, correct? Okay. So for us as believers, yes, we are in this new dispensation of grace, which is a wonderful thing. And we're very grateful for that. But you see, there's a lot that we can learn from the people that were in the Old Testament. And here's one of the things. The more and more I study the Old Testament, one of the, especially the books of Psalms and Proverbs, which I spent a lot of time in for this series, there was one particular thing that I noticed. The people during that time, in these two particular books especially, they had just a pure love and devotion to the Most High God. Whereas once we start meandering over into the New Testament, sometimes, not all the time, and I'm not judging or accusing, so if this does not fit you, just look straight ahead, nobody will know. People in the New Testament get caught up in Okay, these are my rights. These are my privileges. This is what I can get. That's what I can get. All I have to do is have a faith, you know, a prayer petition and I can get this, this and this. You know, the typical I'm Jimmy, give me all that you can type thing. Just give me, give me, give me. Um, we don't think to even necessarily pray to God about strengthening our character the way King David does all through the book of Psalms. We're more interested in checking other people's issues. Okay, we're going to pray for this brother, pray for that brother. Never thinking maybe there's something that needs to be worked out in ourselves. It's a totally different thing. We're not like Daniel, where we will sit up and we will fast, we will pray, we will do whatever it takes just because we want to know the heart of God for our lives. We're not interested in all that. We're 
really even interested in purpose that much. We're just interested in how much we can get, how much more stuff we can take and collect, and what we're going to do about it. We're not even necessarily interested in helping other people. That's not really something that we talk about that much in the New Testament. We just talk about how great we are because the Godhead lives within us. We're not thinking about what we're supposed to do with that Godhead living within us. We don't think about how that is a power source that's supposed to change every place we step. We don't think about that. We just start to become very self-involved and self-centered and start thinking about all that we can get for us and how we can be delivered. And that's not what God wants. The reason why the Old Testament is still in the Bible is because we need to learn from the wisdom that is there. We need to be able to, just like your children, if you have children, I hope that's your heart, <laughs> is that you want better for them than what you had. If you had a really, really nice studio apartment, you want them to at least maybe move up to a one bedroom. If you never, ever had a car, you might want them to be able to have one. If you only had a sixth grade education, you want them to be able to go and graduate high school. That's just love. That's just natural. Well, we as born again believers who are thanking God for the blood that Jesus shed for us, allowing us to have the Godhead reside in us, we need to be wanting even to do better and more than those in the Old Testament. But it still starts, obviously, with our mind, which will then affect our heart. And that's a whole nother series on Thursday night that I think you would like if you aren't already there. But the point being is, that's why we're going to spend some time in Psalms and Proverbs, because I want us to learn from the things that are said in those particular books. Okay, so with that, turn with me to Psalm 19, because we're going to find that God's really given us the tool that we need, which is his word, to live a successful, joyful, meaningful, purpose-filled life. When you turn to Psalm 19, this is a Psalm of David, and we're going to look at just verse 14. Psalm 19, verse 14. And it says, are you there yet? The New King James Version says, let the words of my mouth, so there's no guessing what that means, okay, and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. The Living Bible says, may my spoken words and unspoken thoughts be pleasing even to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And the easy to read puts it this way. May my words and thoughts please you. Lord, you are my rock, the one who rescues me. As believers, we should begin each and every day wanting our words and our thoughts to be pleasing to God, who is, after all, our Redeemer. Now, you're already in the book of Psalms, so turn to Psalm 141. And we're going to look at verses 3 and 4. Psalm 141, verses 3 and 4. And in this psalm, David is praying that he refrains from the same tactics against his enemies that they are using against him. 
We don't think about that all the time. Again, we're just thinking about stuff moving from one spot to the next. We're not thinking about how, hmm, maybe if I react a little differently, some things would change. Yes. It's very key. So if you look at Psalm 141, let's look at verse 3. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not incline my heart to any evil thing, to practice wicked works with men who work iniquity. And do not let me eat of their delicacies. Now, the Amplified breaks it down. It says, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips, qualifier, to keep me from speaking thoughtlessly. That's what that means. Do not incline my heart, qualifier, consent to or tolerate any evil thing or to practice deeds of wickedness with men who plan and do evil. And let me not eat of their delicacies. What does that mean, delicacies? Do not eat of their delicacies. Qualifier, be tempted by their gain. That's so key, because I'm telling you now, people are in working environments where the boss who has that big office over in the corner with the beautiful windows and the plants and that desk that you just think is gorgeous and you're sitting over somewhere in a half cubicle, they didn't bother to fill out the walls with the rest of the cubicle and you really would like to get over there. Now you know he's doing some things with some of the clients on the phone when I say doing some things, making some deals, doing some things that are a little shady, but you're still tempted sometimes because you're trying to get over in that office. Okay, all promotion comes from where? From above. You don't have to do that, but you got to guard yourself so you're not tempted to do it. Now, the Living Bible puts it this way. Help me, Lord, to keep my mouth shut and my lips sealed. Take away my lust for evil things. Don't let me want to be with sinners doing what they do sharing their delicacies. And remember what it said over in the Amplified, their delicacies is being tempted by their game. This is a good idea, really, as you head out of your home in the morning, as you will have to deal with people at work, even on your way to work, because I'm telling you, sometimes they're not so nice on the subway or train or bus, okay? And you don't want to Put yourself in the midst of a challenge. You see, you got to also remember, everybody's not saved. So we are in this cesspool of a world sometimes. But we are that light that's supposed to be a beacon that shines on a hill. But we've got to discipline ourselves to remember that. But you see, the book of Psalms reminds us of that. That's why we have to spend some time there. Turn with me to Psalm 39. And we're just going to read the first verse. Now, I thought this was really good. Because, again, this is a psalm of David. He really, really, oh, you can really see why he was a man after God's own heart if you really spend some time in psalms. So Psalm 39.1, and it says, I said, I will guard my ways lest I sin with my tongue. I will restrain my mouth with a muzzle while the wicked are before me. Now, a muzzle, I'm sure maybe most of you know, that's that thing they put on dogs' mouths so that they can't open them. Okay, well, guess what? Sometimes we need to just not say word. The easy to read says, I said I will be careful about what I say. I will not let my tongue cause me to sin. I will keep my mouth closed when I am around wicked people. And then the Living Bible says, I said to myself, 
I'm going to quit complaining. Mm, that's a concept. I'll keep quiet, especially when the ungodly are around me. Actually, you'd be doing all of us a favor if sometimes you did that because, you know, Christians have some of the worst PR ever, and it's because some of the things that come out of our mouths, people hear, and it does not ever want them to want to become a part of the body of Christ. So it really would be good if sometimes we are just still and don't say anything, okay? Because we do have to be careful that our mouths don't cause us to sin. One way to do this is to fill our mouth with praise. So turn, you're already at Psalm 39, just flip right on over to Psalm 34, Psalm 34, and we're just going to read the first verse. The New King James Version says, oh, and now this, this was the one I thought was really pretty cool. David actually was in the middle of having an altercation with Abimelech, and he needed to get away from him. And praise always stills the avenger. Yeah. So if you are in the midst of a place that's not good, you don't know what to do, and it's, it's really looking ugly, start praising the Lord, and you'll see where he rescues you and takes you right out of it. Well, this is a perfect example of this. Again, in the Old Testament, we can learn something here. And the New King James Version says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. And if you look at it in the Living Bible, I will praise the Lord no matter what happens. I will constantly speak of his glories and grace. This is so important. You might be in the midst of a physical challenge and the doctors don't have an answer for you or the answer that they're giving you is not quite sufficient because you're not seeing the change happen in your physical body and you feel like, Lord, what is going on? I'm doing everything they're asking me to do and it's just I'm not seeing the change and I'm just hurting, but I'm trusting you. This is what I want you to do. Open up your mouth and start praising him. Continually just praise him. And you know what? I promise you, it stills the avenger and he realizes, oh, okay, well, I guess I better go seek who else I may devour because this person is just going to praise the Lord. And you'll start to see things change. Praise is a tool that he's given us and we should want to do it. And especially those of us who are born again and have the entire Godhead within us, we have a lot to praise him for. We need to be able to do that. And the Message Bible just says, I bless God every chance I get. My lungs expand with his praise. Has anyone ever encountered a challenge? Maybe with a co-worker or a supervisor, you know, because we do have those at work. And they're making your job just uncomfortable. Some of you, they have made your job miserable. <laughs> and you may sometimes just dread even going into work. But then again, you kind of need the paycheck, so you just go. <laughs> okay? Can anybody relate to that? Okay. What are we supposed to do? If we know that we're to govern our words, what are we supposed to do in an instance like that? We're going to see what David did. Let's turn to Psalm 17, and we're going to spend a little time in Psalm 17. So let me know when you're there. Okay. We're going to look at, now when you get a chance at home, read the whole entire psalm, because it's beautiful. But 
I'm not going to do that today. We're just going to start with verses three to five. Again, as the foundation with the New King James Version, it says, you have tested my heart. And again, all of these Psalms are written to God. So this is David speaking to God. And pay attention because I think you will see where <laughs> you may have felt exactly like David did at this point. You have tested my heart. You have visited me in the night. You have tried me and have found nothing. I have purposed that my mouth shall not transgress concerning the works of men by the word, by the word of your lips. I have kept away from the paths of the destroyer. Uphold my steps in your paths that my footsteps may not slip. In other words, David is really crying out to the Lord. I'm trying to do everything you said. Okay, I'm going in here and the supervisor's getting on my really pushing me to the limit. And I'm trying to do everything. I'm keeping my mouth. You see this. You see me in the morning. You see me at night. Lord, you're getting it. Help me here. Okay. If we look at it in the Living Bible, he says, you've tested me and seen that I am good. You have come even in the night and found nothing amiss and know that I have told the truth. I have followed your commands and have not gone along with cruel and evil men. My feet have not slipped from your paths. Now, the easy to read says you were with me all night and looked deep into my heart. You questioned me and found that I did not say or do anything wrong. Unlike most people, I have obeyed your commands. So I have never been like those who are cruel and evil. I have followed your way. My feet never left your path. Then drop down to the 10th verse. And now he's going to talk a little bit about the supervisor or the people that he's dealing with. And it says in the New King James, they have closed up their fat hearts. With their mouths, they speak proudly. The Living Bible says they are pitiless and arrogant. Listen to their boasting. And I want you to imagine, because maybe you don't work in an office, but you can imagine the fat cat that's sitting over there in the office with the real corner windows who's ordering you around, asking you to do everything and doesn't even remember your name. Okay, that's who this is speaking of. The easy to read says they think only of themselves and brag about what they will do. Now, the last verses drop down. We're going to read verses 13 through 15. And this is what David is asking. Arise, O Lord, confront him, cast him down. Deliver my life from the wicked with your sword, with your hand o, from men, O Lord, from men of the world who have their portion in this life and whose belly you fill with your hidden treasure. They are satisfied with children and leave the rest of their possession for their babes. As for me, I will see your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. The Living Bible says, Lord, arise and stand against them. Push them back. Come and save me from these men of the world whose only concern is earthly gain. These men whom you have filled with your treasures so that their children and grandchildren are rich and prosperous. But as for me, my contentment is not in wealth, but in seeing you and knowing all is well between us. And when I awake in heaven, I will be fully satisfied. So I will see you face to face. And then the easy to read, Lord, get up and face the enemy. Make them surrender. Use your sword and save me from these wicked people. Use your power, Lord, and remove them from this life. But as for the people you treasure, 
Fill them with food. Give them plenty for their children and their grandchildren. I have done only what is right, so I will see your face. And seeing you, I will be fully satisfied. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand this. I am in no way suggesting that we don't want to have God's best. But what I am suggesting is that when David felt like his back was up against the wall and he knew he had people who were working against him with their evil ways, instead of him trying to be like the rest of the world and try to figure out how to get back at them or manipulate people to get this done and that done to get them off your back, he sought the face of God and he was asking him, please, Lord, you see. And he was not, because, and I'm saying this because sometimes people take things the wrong way, I think, or take it out of context. He was not trying to say, look, God, I'm the little good one over here. I do everything right. He was just bringing back to the Lord's remembrance that I am striving to do everything right. I love you. I am trying to keep my mouth closed. I am trying to do everything you've commanded. But these people are still boasting. They're still making it hard for me. Please deliver me, Lord. Get me out of this situation because all they want is more stuff. I'm not looking for more stuff. I just want to cultivate my relationship with you. I want to be happy that things are right between you and I and my reward will be to see your face. That's what that's saying. And I think that's absolutely beautiful. You see, deliverance, even from situations at work or anything else, that are dealing with people who seem evil. All of that's part of your salvation. You are promised deliverance, okay? So he will deliver you, but then again, you have to seek his face and ask for that. You have to be wanting that, not scheming on your own. Don't speak negative things against people as they do to you, because we know how that feels. Guard your tongue and trust God because he is your deliverer. And this is a critical point, and I'm going to tell you why. Because you can say things with your own mouth that can release words that Satan will use to destroy you. I'd like to liken it to the boomerang effect. You put that stuff out there, it's going to turn right back around and come on you. You don't want that to happen. I mean, and we know that, you're, we know that our words are powerful. We know that. And we also know that we reap what we sow. So you really, really have to be careful with what it is that you say. Sometimes it is best to learn the language of silence. You see, I like that language sometimes because here's why. Silence can never, it can be misinterpreted. I've had it misinterpreted on me, okay? Where you can sit somewhere, I used to remember on 96th Street, I used to like to sit in the back in the corner and people did not know why they never asked why they just started running off their mouth okay oh she's stuck up that's why she wants to sit over there she doesn't want to be with people no I sat there because during the altar call I was looking for that hand that wouldn't quite go up so that I could go and give that person a hug and share with them the word so that their life could forever change that was the reason I sat there but no, people kept running off at their mouth. That's okay. You know, they didn't know. But all I'm trying to say to you is don't even just stay your course. Make sure you're doing what you know that you're supposed to do. God will honor it. They may have been able to sit up and talk about me. They may have misinterpreted 
my silence. But you know one thing they could never do? They could never go around and say, well, she said this or she said that, because I never said anything. My silence could be misinterpreted, but it could never be misquoted. The silence, I will also tell you, served me well, because I didn't have anything negative to say, God on in my heart, and here we are, okay? So the point is, sometimes it's best that you do just learn that. But the thing is, God understands that it's hard for us to just keep our tongue where it needs to be. And he shows us that in the word. Turn with me to James. And we're going to look at the first chapter and we're going to look at verses 21 through 26. And this is going to be another one that we kind of break down. This is James. James in the New Testament, you know, it's toward the back. (laughs) The first chapter... And we're going to look at verses 21 through 26. Are you there? Okay, starting as our foundation. We're going to start with the New King James Version. It says, therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, This one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Now, religion, I know it's there, but we have learned that religion can sometimes be a form of bondage. So it's not about religion, it's about relationship. So you could just really take out the word religion and put in relationship and say, if anyone among you thinks his relationship with God and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, then this person's relationship with God really becomes useless. When we come back, because I'm out of time. (laughs) Our hope is that you received something that you could apply to your life and strengthen your faith. At Crenshaw Christian Center, New York, we believe that the Word of God is practical for everyday application. Feel free to stay in touch with us via social media, or you can give us a call at 212-749-9323. If you're in the New York area, you're welcome to join us at one of our services. Our Sunday morning service is at the New Yorker Hotel at 9.45 a.m. That's on 34th Street and 8th Avenue in New York City. Or join us for Bible study on Thursday evenings at our fellowship office, 470 7th Avenue on the 6th floor, right in Herald Square. Thanks again for listening. And remember, walk by faith, not by sight.